Well, good morning, Airline, and thank you for joining us in worship. You, if you are visiting with us, we're so glad you are here. If you are online, drop a comment and let us know you are joining us this morning. If you are in-house, in get on your feet and worship with us this morning.
So good to see you this morning. Such a great day to be able to worship the Lord together. And so thank you so much for being here. We're excited to be able to come together as a corporate body and worship King Jesus. And so with that being said, we're just want to invite you, if you're visiting with us today, we'd love to connect with you after church. We have one of those connection cards in the seat back somewhere around you. Um, we have a gift for you for visiting. And so we'd love to connect with you after worship, um, be able to meet you and your family and spend some time with you and then give you that gift. Or if you have a prayer need or a prayer concern, you can fill that out on the connection card as well. With that being said, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward as we prepare to take up this morning's offering. And as we've been saying, we're, we're starting this back first and foremost because it is an act of worship. And so our sacrificial giving, first and foremost, it's not to pay bills, it's not to pay salaries, it's not to keep the lights on, it's to worship God. And so that's first and foremost. But then second, we give because we value the mission. We are called to make disciples. And so we as a church, that's why we exist. We have no other purpose for existence other than to make disciples. And so this is why we give as a church for worship and to see through what our mission is. And so that being said, we're going to open up in a word of prayer and pray over this time. And then the band's going to take it back over. But let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, would you take this time, help us to worship you. God, we know we gather together and we have a lot on our hearts and our minds and maybe stuff that's going on outside of this building. And God, would you allow us to settle our hearts and our minds on you. God, to give you the worship that you are due. God, you're worthy of every ounce of worship we can give you. So God, help us to worship you. God, we pray over this time of offering. Would you use it for your kingdom and for your glory? God, we do not exist to make the name of Airline Baptist Church known, but we exist for your name and your name alone. So God, would you take this and would you use it to that end? We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
beautiful and that you let us be a part of your work here on earth. Thank you for this time to gather together as a body of believers. Father, thank you for the worship we have had through fellowship, through giving, through song. God, may we continue to worship as we open your word and hear from what you have to say today. God, we give you this time, continue to move in this place. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name, amen. Thank you for the band and, and Quez for leading us in worship this morning. I invite you to turn to the book of James, the book of James. I've been excited. I've, I've always loved the, the book of James. And so I've, I've been kind of, as I shared last week, kind of really wrestling with when to, to do this and just kind of praying through that. And as, as we enter into this new study, I believe the, the time is right for us to walk through this book. And here's the reason why we, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about what is the gospel and really trying to define what the gospel is. And so we, we walk through that and define the gospel and we talked about the implications of the gospel. And so now we turn to the book of James, which is really the practical means of living out the gospel. Some have called the book of James Christianity for dummies. Is what it is. So we'll get a flavor for that as we walk through this book. Because James is incredibly practical. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some deep and profound aspects of James. But at the end of the day, he is incredibly practical. And so who was James? James was the brother of Jesus. And we actually see, going back to the Gospels, that James actually doubts Jesus. He doubts that Jesus was actually Jesus, but we turn to this book and we all of a sudden we see James refers to Jesus as Lord. And not only that, James is an elder in the church of Jerusalem. And so he has fully devoted his life to Jesus. Now just pause and consider for a second. What on earth would make you devote your entire life to your older brother? What about a resurrection from the dead? Would that, would that do it? But so James devotes his entire life to following Jesus. This man who doubted Jesus was born in the same house as Jesus. Could you imagine being the younger brother of from Mary and Joseph, why can't you just be more like your older brother? Well, my older brother is the incarnate son of God. 
But all of a sudden we flip the page and James is writing to the church. Because there are practical needs that need to be met that he's writing, and he's really writing to a broad audience, but he wants to talk about the idea of wisdom and what being a wise Christian looks like and what it means to practically live out the gospel. So James chapter 1, we're going to go verses 1 through 8, and then we'll talk about a few things this morning. So it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person not, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. God, just as we have already prayed and sung, God, we give you this time. God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, God, we pray now as we open up your word that you would speak to your people. God, let us draw near to you. God, let us learn more what faith looks like, what a follower of Jesus is to look like. And God, we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Really, just in these first few verses, James unpacks a lot, really has a lot to say. Really, what type of faith is lived out from the gospel? Really, what type of faith does the gospel produce? And so two things I want us to see this morning. First is that the gospel produces a mature faith. It produces a mature faith. So going back to verse 1, just to unpack this a little bit in James' introduction, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The term servant there is pretty lightly translated, but it can mean bondservant or slave. Just think, he doesn't, he doesn't even play the authority card. He doesn't even identify himself as the brother of Jesus. That the work of Christ had such a profound impact on his life, he doesn't even go, hey, you need to listen to me. Do you know who my older brother is? But he identifies himself as a slave to Christ. So he says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the, in the dispersion. 
What does he mean by that? We, we're familiar with this 12 tribes language all throughout the Old Testament, referring to the 12 tribes of Israel. But he's writing to the church that is scattered abroad, that he identifies the church as being the true Israel. This is backed up all throughout Paul. That there is the true people of God, not by ethnicity, not by birth, but through faith in Christ that identifies one as the people of God. And so the church is dispersed, it's scattered throughout. And so James is writing to the church, greetings. He keeps it rather short and simple. Greetings. But then we get into the meat. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. And so right off the bat, we're not even two verses into it and James lands one right to the gut. Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy to consider it joy. Like this is so foreign to us. We come up in difficult seasons. We go through times that, that are hard and painful. We don't go, oh, this is joyful. But James goes, count it all joy. Why? Because joy is not tied to a series of circumstances. It can't be. Because for joy to be tied to circumstances, it ceases to be joy. And it becomes happiness. And happiness is temporary. Happiness can be gone this afternoon. Your happiness may be gone from the start of the sermon to now. It can change in a hurry. But joy is not rooted in temporary circumstances. Joy is rooted in what is eternal. That my joy is not rooted in what's happening right now, but rather who God is. And so when we encounter trials of various kinds, when we go through difficult seasons of life, our joy is not impacted. Why? Because my joy is not rooted in that stuff. It's rooted in God. So when James says counting all joy, this is mental. This is a process of the mind. That doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make the situation easier to manage. But how do I consider it? How do I think about it? Do I count it as joy when I face those? And notice he does not leave it ambiguous. He does not say, if you encounter this, if you encounter these trials, but when you encounter, when you meet these things, he doesn't say, now listen, you may be going through life and it's going to be hunky-dory and sometimes there may be something that may pop up along the way. But rather, when these things happen, consider it joy. Why? 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. How can we consider it joy? Because God is working something in the midst of it. God is doing something in the midst of it. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the pain, God is at work. I love what he says, for you know that the testing of your faith. I love this Greek term for testing. There's a, there's a, I guess you'd call it a dictionary that I like to use. It's called Loanida. And basically what it does is it takes Greek terms of the same, what's known as semantic domain. If you have questions about that, come ask me afterwards. But it defines it this way. Testing to try to learn the genuineness of something by examination and testing. Get this, often through actual use. That last phrase caught me, often through actual use. Now let's just be honest this morning. It is so easy to talk about faith. It is so easy to talk about having faith in God, trusting God in in whatever situation may come. And listen, that is especially easy when life is going well. That is especially easy when it seems like everything is coming in place or everything is going according to plan. But when is the last time we actually had to exercise our faith? When is the last time we said, God, I don't know what's going to happen. God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm just simply going to trust you. That is faith. And we're going to get into this in just a moment, but it is not faith to go, God, I'm going to trust you and then have 37 backup plans. But to simply say, God, I trust you. That's actual faith. That's putting it to use. It would be like this. In my office, there is a banjo that I inherited from my great uncle when he passed. And I don't know how many people have come into my office and have said, oh, Zach, you played the banjo. I don't. It's just a family heirloom, it's a keepsake. But if you were to come into my office and and you were to assume that I played the banjo, that I had those skills, and you were to say, Zach, I want you to play with the banjo, and I was to sit down with the banjo and make the most horrific noise you've ever heard, all of a sudden you would go, that banjo is just for show, which it is. It's a show banjo. That's what I'm going to call it. But it's through the testing you realize, I'm not a banjo player. I may have the banjo. I may be able to talk about the banjo. But when, it, when the rubber meets the road, I'm not a banjo player. How many of us talk about God, talk about faith, talk about how much we trust God, and then all of a sudden, difficulty arises 
and it realizes, and we realize, I don't actually have that much faith in him. We may talk a good game when life's going well, but the test happens. The trial happens. And all it was was simply talk. So we know that the testing does what? It produces steadfastness. And so steadfastness can also be translated just simply as endurance. That what is God doing in your life? He's producing endurance. Listen, the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. The Christian life is not about how fast you can get to the finish line. It's a marathon. So what is God doing? Every time trials come about, he's, in, he's, do, he's working something. He's instilling something that will take you a little bit further than had it not happened. He is producing some endurance in your life. And that's hard. That's difficult. I remember at my, from my time playing at Troy, Every fall before fall camp, we had to do a conditioning test. Because all the coaches wanted to see whether or not you, your off-season workouts, you took them seriously. And they were awful. But here's the reality. You don't pass the conditioning test by getting off the couch and doing it. You have to work your way up there. You do it by running one sprint and being dead afterwards. And then maybe you run two sprints and you're dead afterwards. And then three sprints and you're dead afterwards. But you get to the point where you pass the conditioning test. The same is true of faith. There is a muscle that needs exercising. That how do I know I can trust God five years, ten years down the road when something big happens, when something big occurs? Because God is working some stuff in my life right now that is calling me to exercise that faith muscle. So it may be something big down the road, but how do I handle what is big down the road by handling what I have in front of me right now? Simply trusting God for today. I'm not five years down the road yet. I'm not 10 years down the road yet. I'm trusting God for today. And that produces steadfastness, produces endurance. And he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That what is God seeking to do when trials come about, when difficulties come about, when the test happens in our life, he's working something. What? That we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just think about that for a moment. This term perfect is the same term for finished or final. And complete meaning wholeness. What is God doing? He is molding us and he is morphing us and transforming us into the image of his son. 
And just like the potter that is working on the clay, it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It's difficult. And there are things that God works in our life. That sometimes we'd say, God, I'd rather you not work that way. But it's exactly what the clay needs to get to the final image, to get to the finish line, to get to its purpose. God is working something. So I love that, perfect but complete. But hear me this morning, there is no area that is off limits from God sanctifying and working in your life. But oftentimes there are those areas in our life that we would probably say, God, I would love for you to work in this area. But God, you guys, you got to understand this area over here, I really don't want you working in. Now, we may not openly admit to that, but we probably all got them. Like, God, I recognize this area is jacked up, and I need your help in it. I want you to work in this area. This little box over here, I want you to be at work in this area. But, God, you got to understand, there's this area of my life, this little box over here, and I recognize it's jacked up, but, but I really don't want you working on that. I want to handle this area myself. God doesn't play that game. Why? Because not only does he want you Finished, as long as he wants you getting past the line, he wants you to be complete and whole when you get there. And when we play those games of saying, God, I want you to work in this area, but not this area, we're not becoming the whole God is working to bring about. So these things are going on in our lives. Why? Because God is working something. He is forming you and fashioning you into the image of Jesus. And it's not always easy. Oftentimes it's difficult and it's uncomfortable. Why? Because God starts working in areas of our lives we would rather him not work in. He starts putting his finger on those desires that we'd rather him not put his finger on. He starts convicting us of sins that we really like. And yet he's fashioning us and he is molding us in that season and in those seasons to look more and more like Christ. Lacking nothing. So what is this? This is a mature faith. That what should the gospel produce in our lives? It should produce a faith that is mature. A faith that understands when we go through difficulties, God is working something. When we go through those dark seasons, God is doing something. That God hasn't abandoned us. God hasn't gone... Well, it's a difficult season. I don't really know what to do right now. I got to admit, this one even caught me off guard. God's not doing that. But he's working. He's fashioning you. His hands have not left you. As the clay in the potter's hand, he is still working. 
to bring about something in our lives that would not be there otherwise. This is a mature faith. But then James moves from a mature faith to a wise faith. Verse 4, or verse 5 rather. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. I love this because James is talking about going through difficulties and meeting trials of various kinds. And what would be our first prayer request in the midst of the trial? God, get us out of the trial. God, get us out of the difficulty. God, we're in the fire right now. Take us out of the fire. But what does James instruct believers to do? Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. So he says, if any of you are lacking wisdom to do what? Ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. It does not matter one's wealth or influence or power or socioeconomic status. If you need wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. But there's a caveat. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. This doubting is not a doubt of existential matters. It's not a doubt of is, does God exist? Is God real? It's not those kind of doubts. It's a doubt of as a believer, do I actually trust the character of God? Do I actually trust who God says he is? Do I trust his character? Do I trust that God actually loves me and cares for me and is working something in my life? Do I trust him? Do I trust that there is a wisdom from above and there is a wisdom from below? And that what I need in my life is not the wisdom from below, but it's the wisdom from above that my greatest need is wisdom from God. And like we can learn a lot from each other. We sit in staff meeting and we talk about things and, and we learn from one another. But ultimately we always pause and go, God, we need your wisdom. Because there's, there's a wisdom that makes sense to us. There's an approach to life that makes sense to our current culture. But we need God's wisdom. We need that wisdom from God. So do I actually trust that his wisdom is best? That we're not seeking the wisdom of God so that we can put it on the table and go, okay, here's what God says and we weigh all of our options. But that we go, here's what God says, here's what we do. 
instead of God's wisdom being on the table with everybody else's and we make the most informed decision, but that we seek God's wisdom, not doubting. If you write one thing down this morning, I want you to write this down. Just a thought that popped into my head this morning. It's this. What we do after we pray says more about our prayer life than what we pray. What we do after we pray says more about our prayer life than what we pray. What do I mean by that? If I'm in need of rain and I petition God for rain and I leave the house, do I pack the umbrella or do I plan the lake day? You see, if I plan the lake day and don't plan the, pack the umbrella, am I really trusting God? Now, God may or may not send the rain. That's his divine prerogative. But am I trusting God? You see, how often do we pray and ask God for wisdom, ask God for guidance, and then we leave that time of prayer and go about doing everything exactly like we've always, always done it? or go about doing things the way that I think is right. Instead of going, okay, God, I'm trusting you. I'm gonna walk according to you now. And James gives an illustration. He says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. There is no stability. And James is gonna say that again in just a moment. That every single wind knocks the person over. Why? Because there is no foundation. There is nothing for them to stand on. It's like a wave in the midst of the sea. They're just tossed every which way. He says, for that person will not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. It's a hard word. A hard word saying here in James, but it's actually incredibly practical. Because if I go to Mike and I say, Mike, I need you to get this done, and then I leave and I start doing it my own way, am I actually trusting Mike to get the job done? No. And is Mike going to do that if all of a sudden he sees me going about doing it my own way? No. And so why would God go, okay, let me do that when you're just going about doing it your own way, according to your own plan, according to what you think is best, what you think is right, instead of trusting that his ways are higher than ours and trusting him. And then James ends by saying he is a double-minded Man. It's an interesting phrase, literally a, a two-souled 
man. That he's like a man who has these two souls and one is pulling him this way and one is pulling him that way. That he doesn't actually know which way he wants to go, but he wants to pursue God, but he wants to pursue this other stuff over here. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Church, we must understand that when we try to pursue two different things, there is no stability, and there's no stability on either side of the spectrum. If we want to ride the fence and pursue God's, seek to pursue God's wisdom and seek to pursue our own wisdom, that we will ultimately fail at both. I'm never going to be stable in God's wisdom if I'm trying to pursue my own. And this wisdom over here cannot hold up when I'm trying to mix in God's wisdom. They're unstable in all their ways. So what is God seeking to do in one's life? What should the gospel produce? It should produce a mature faith, but then it should produce a wise faith. That I seek wisdom that only comes from above. That only comes from God. So this brings us to our central idea this morning. It's this, faith in Christ produces joy for the journey and wisdom for the way. Faith in Christ produces joy for the journey and wisdom for the way. These are things that the gospel produces in our lives. These are things that the work of Christ should produce in our lives. There should be joy in the life of a Christian. Like Christians should not look like the angriest people on the face of the earth. Christians shouldn't go about in a constant season of worry about what's going on in the world around them when they at the same time profess that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. There should be joy the life of a Christian. There should be joy in the life of a follower of Christ. But not only that, there should be wisdom that accompanies that. There should be wisdom. And that our wisdom as followers of Christ does not look like the world's wisdom. It doesn't look like everybody else's. Why? Because our wisdom comes from Above, it comes from an ultimately a trust in the sovereign creator of the universe. That's where our wisdom comes from. Our wisdom doesn't come from cultural fads that come, are here today and gone tomorrow. It comes from God himself. So as we close, the man comes back to the stage. My question for us is rather simple. Do you need joy and or wisdom today? As you're sitting here, you may say, Pastor, 
I'm going through a difficult season of life and I'm having a hard time counting it as joy. I'm struggling to count it as joy. That maybe you need to do what James instructs and to ask for wisdom. Ask for bigger faith to trust what God is doing. Bigger faith trusts the character of God, even when it seems like God is distant and absent. To trust that God is at work. So you're sitting here today, and you'd say, Pastor, I need some joy in my life. I need some wisdom in my life. You can find it in Christ. You can't find it in me. You can't find it in Pastor Mike. You can't find it in Clint. You can't find it in the worship team. Joy and wisdom only comes through Christ. That's it. So do you have that joy? Do you have that wisdom today? From the individual to the church as a whole, let us seek that joy. Let us seek that wisdom that only comes from Christ. So maybe individually, you, you just need to spend some time with the Lord this morning. Go, God, would you just restore my joy? Would you just give me some wisdom today? But then as well, what if we corporately as a church prayed, God, would you give us joy? Would you give us wisdom as a church? Not according to our ways, not according to our circumstances, but according to to you. So what would happen if we collectively prayed for that? So we'll have an opportunity to do that right now during this time of response. I'm going to pray for us, invite you to stand. If you need to come pray, this altar is open. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing over here. Pastor Clint will be standing over there if you need somebody to pray with. Let's just spend this time focusing on those two questions, our joy and our wisdom. And where is it found? Father God, we come to you. God, we love you. We praise you. God, we pray now during this time of response, God, would you move? Would you speak to hearts and lives? God, help our joy to be found in you. God, help our wisdom to come from you and you alone. Speak to us, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond today.
Thank you so much for being here today. You can go ahead and grab a seat real quick, just a few quick announcements. Um, and so coming up, and so of course this Wednesday night, we have our Back to School Bash kickoff event. And so I encourage you to be there if you need to. That was my wife slamming doors in the church house. Um, and so, again, we have this community event on Wednesday night. And so if you need supplies or you don't have supplies yet, please talk to Taylor and Heather. They'll be more than happy to get you connected. Make sure you have what you need. Or if there's something that needs purchased or ordered, please talk to them um, so we can get it in in time for Wednesday night. We're super excited. We've had a really great response so far. And so we're excited to be able to serve our community this Wednesday night um, for that back-to-school bash kickoff party. I can't remember what exactly we're calling it, but something along those lines. Yeah. Um, so that's this Wednesday night. We had a great time yesterday. Um, I don't know that great would be the right adjective. We had a hot time at the church work day yesterday. Um, and so, but I appreciate everybody that was here yesterday helping clean up. We, we moved some rooms around. So next Sunday, we're kind of relaunching our life groups, kind of new locations, some stuff going on. So if we have those graphics, I just want to kind of let you know where everything's going to be. All right, so this is up here. And so we still have our willing workers class and our men's 60 plus class. They are over there in that side. In the old library will be the faithful workers class. Okay, so the library right over here. We've cleaned out some books. And so if you are interested in some free books, they are right through these doors. Please take as many home as you want to. Okay, so that's where that class will be located right there in that library. Downstairs. So you can kind of see the schematic on the right side is our children's area. And so the Sunseekers are still in the same place. Right across the hall from the Sunseekers will be the young married class, 40 to 60. This is Kirk, will be the, the teacher of that class. So if you're normally in Kirk's class and you're kind of that um, young married, older married age range, um, you're going to go down there next Sunday and be in that class. So you won't be in the fellowship hall anymore. You'll be downstairs in that class. Um, young singles, this is, this is Chip and Deborah. Um, they're going to be in that room next to them. Across the hall is, hall is going to be Mike's class. And so, again, that's downstairs. And then the hallway on the left, you can see those student rooms. And then the living room will be the young married class that Whitney and I are leading. And so that's where all of those will be next Sunday. I'm excited. We're all going to be under the same roof. We're not going to be spread across throughout campus in different areas and people working up a sweat, walking from life group to <laughs> worship on Sunday mornings. And so that's kind of where everything will be. We'll all be under the same roof for life groups. And so with that being said, um, we're going to transition now into a time of church conference. And so let's just take just a moment. And if you're visiting with us, you're more than welcome to stick in here for church conference. Uh, if, if you don't want to stick in, you, you need to head out. Or if you're a member and you don't want to stick in for church conference and head out, you're more than welcome to do that as well. Um, we won't be terribly long. But we're just going to take a few minutes. And so as we are transitioning, shake hands with five people around you. And so if you want to step out, you're more than welcome to. But let's just kind of meet and greet for a second, and then we'll transition in time of church conference. All right? So shake hands with about five people around you.